listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen. How many of you love the word of the Lord? Oh, we can do better than that. How many of you love the word of the Lord? Yes, yes. Let's turn together. Mark chapter number 14. We are continuing, finishing up our, not tonight, but we're close to the finish of our journey through the gospel of Mark. And we have uh, had, I personally have had a, a very rewarding process of study through this book. Uh, you can't, you can't go deep in any book of the Bible without it changing you. You can speed read your way through your daily bread if you don't have time, but you can't go deep in any book without it changing you, it get, getting down where you're living and affecting you. And uh, every time we go do a deep dive through a selected passage of scripture or a selected book, in this case, the gospel of Mark, uh, it, 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 it's humbling to see again the simple power of testimony where an individual who walked with him writes a gospel to tell of this great hope we have. And so we are here in the, in the 14th chapter of the gospel of Mark. And let's read together at, let's read together at verse number 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They had already decided what they wanted. This is a, the ultimate picture of a prejudiced uh, judgment seat. They're looking to put him to death, and they're looking for a reason. The Bible says they found none, for many bore false witness against him, Jesus, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But even then, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of glory. Then the high priest tore his clothes and says, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some begin to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. So we're looking at Jesus before the judgment, before the trials. There are six trials that Jesus will sit through, three of them religious, three of them civil. Uh, we're going to look at that for a little while here tonight. 
Um, before we do, let's pray together. Lord, we need your anointing in our midst. We want your word to be powerful within our life. We want to grow from it. Uh, we cannot spend any time in it and it not prosper us, it not bless us. And we seek that blessing in our lives, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, somebody say, let it be. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seed, seated. All right, we have, we have recently seen the, the Last Supper. We have seen the betrayal that Judas um, offers to the Lord. We have, um, in, some, in some regard, we've talked about Gethsemane. Uh, I do want to, before I get much, much deeper into these, these trials that Jesus goes through, I do want to point out a couple things about Gethsemane. Uh, as you have heard me say before, Gethsemane is, the word means olive press. And it is here where they bring the harvest, and it is here where they press the olives, and it is here where the, the oil flows forth. And so it is that that image uh, will be true also in a spiritual sense. Christ comes here to offer his soul up before the Lord, to present himself as, as an offering. This is something that the, uh, you will see the, uh, in the gospel, or excuse me, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, you will see this moment where uh, there is this offering made, and the author of the book of Hebrews said it like this, who in the days of his flesh, when he, Jesus, had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. Don't rush past that. There is a pathos. There is a heaviness. There is a brokenness. There is a spiritual crushing that has happened, happening at Gethsemane. It is in the physical, the place of crushing the olive press. And it is in the spiritual, the place of crushing. Jesus offered up with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared though he were a son yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect achieved that purpose somebody say purpose it's not purposeless suffering it is purposeful suffering this is important because if we're not careful, we can celebrate suffering in the manner of an ascetic. Now, ascetic is a religious word. It means someone who deems themselves holy by making a presentation of the eccentricities of their, of their worship. And in the Middle Ages, uh, these ascetics very much would, would basically present themselves as holy men because of some strange esoteric suffering rite that they alone would go through. Uh, some of the more absurd third examples was there was one man, I believe in the 14th century, who built a platform on the top of a pole and he never came down from the top of the platform on top of the pole. He lived up there. They brought him food up there. And was his life miserable? Yes, particularly in a thunderstorm. Do you see? But there's no purpose in the suffering. God does not call us to purposeless suffering. When we are going through the crushing, it is always for a divine purpose. Christ does not revel in the manner of an ascetic celebrating the suffering and using the suffering as a badge of spiritual accomplishment. That is to miss the point. He, for the joy that was set before him, endures the cross, despising the shame. I want you to 
know this right now, whatever you are going through, whatever pain you are in, it is not in God's pleasure to see you suffer for the point of your suffering. God is going to bring something beautiful out of whatever it is you are living through. I said God's going to bring something beautiful out of whatever it is you are going through. Your sorrows will not be wasted. Your test will become a testimony. And so Jesus, having been made perfect, Hebrews uh, 5 and 9, having been made perfect, achieved that purpose for which God sent him into the world, and he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And so here is Christ, and there is quite a, a school of scholarly work in the area, the, the area of atonement, where they think this hour of agony, and there's a lot of technical scholarship that happens here that's beyond the beyond the point of a Wednesday night Bible study but I I just want you to see this offering of his soul in this hour of agony the 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 heart the soul of this innocent lamb who has no sin is offered as a atonement for the sins of the world fulfilling the writing in Isaiah it pleased the Lord to bruise him when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. God shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. This is all happening at Gethsemane. They're going to kill him, yes, but he offers himself at this moment. They're going to crucify him, yes. But the reason why he can go before uh, his accusers and his judges like a lamb led to the slaughter and open not his mouth is because the battle has already been won. He has already presented himself and said, if there's any other way, let's do that. But if there is no other way, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. We celebrate this moment as believers. None of you will ever be good enough no preacher, including this one, will ever be good enough to deserve heaven. But Christ paid our debt of sin and shame. And because of Christ, the holy of holies that was separated, the veil that hid it from us has been torn and rent. And we can stand in the holy of holies and offer praise to God. And so this Garden of Gethsemane becomes a place of spiritual crushing. He goes in with others, but they do not go all the way. In your Gethsemane, you will go there alone. You will not have others in this moment. Because this is not about overcoming the devil. Uh, Gethsemane is not about overcoming the powers of the enemy. Gethsemane is not about speaking scripture to the devil. Gethsemane is victory over the self. Because the real struggle we all have in our life uh, is not the devil, although it is so much fun to blame him, because then we get to be pure as the, the wind-driven snow. It's great to blame the devil, but when you rebuke the devil in Jesus' name, he leaves you alone. Can I have an agreement in the house? Let me tell you the struggle. The struggle is the flesh. Paul would rebuke and cast out the devil, but every morning he said, I die daily. Gethsemane is the death of the flesh. That's why you cannot take others all the way with you. They'll come a little way. You will go into your Gethsemane with others, but you will come out all alone. 
And so it is with Jesus in this garden of Gethsemane. He prays and sweats, as it were, great drops of blood. And I'm going to move quickly through this because every single scripture could be a, a great Bible study of, of, of insight in itself. But of course, uh, that would probably go on for two years. Uh, not, you know, I would never take a series on for two years. So <laughs> that was a joke. You didn't laugh. I can't help it if you don't have good sense of humor. I'm, I just, I just have to move along. Jesus experienced true spiritual loneliness. Um, I, I do believe that there is a calling uh, of God on all of your life that if you go all the way to where God has, is willing to take you, you will go through great sense of spiritual loneliness in your life. You will open your heart to friends, and I believe God will give you friends. I believe God will give you support structure. I believe God will uh, give you help, but there comes that point where um, it's not about someone else who can take you all the way. Jesus goes to this moment of supreme spiritual loneliness, and it is as though his soul is broken within him, and yet, something that is very rarely taught or preached uh, in fact, I was in, in my study this week, I was trying to remember if I had ever heard uh, what Luke said happened in this uh, Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus comes to the end of himself and he is he's surrendered and he is he is broken and he is is truly uh, committed to God's way. Uh, the Bible, the Bible tells us through the gospel of Luke that, uh, Jesus receives a comfort that, that can only come from heaven. Uh, uh, an angel, Luke 22 and 43, and an angel, uh, ministers to Jesus. And so it is in our, our Gethsemane. So it is that, uh, when others cannot take you all the way. The Lord will take you to the end of yourself. The self, the flesh, is willing, is finally broken. And then at that moment, God gives you the strength to do what God called you to do. You see, I don't care what it is you try to do. Uh, if you try to do anything for God, if you really put yourself out there, you will come to a point of, of, of I can't do this. You'll come to this point where you really want to run and hide. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can raise your hand right now in Jesus' name. Nobody in this section. You guys are awesome. Prayed through over here. Anybody, you just want to run and hide. You've come to the end of yourself. When you do that, you're not alone just because you feel alone. In fact, the breakthrough is on the other side of you. It's after the surrender comes. It's after not my will, thy will be done. That heaven brings its strength and sustenance to you. And so it is that the, the, the gospel of Luke tells us of the, the angel that comes and ministers and gives strength, strength to him. And so Jesus is taken out of this garden of Gethsemane. Of course, we all know Judas is instrumental in the betrayal uh, whereby the, the host, the cohort of Roman soldiers, which is... Is, uh, several hundred and also the, the Roman guards this great crowd comes into this place and they and they come as though Jesus were a robber and he accosts them uh, as such why do you come with weapons as though I were a robber I've stood daily in your temple and you chose nighttime to come and take me you chose to treat me like a robber and so it is that they do and they bring him they bring him to uh, to first to uh, the former high priest and this is uh, Annas. He is the father of Caiaphas, and uh, he's 
the first trial that Jesus is presented to. The second trial is what we read about together, uh, orchestrated by by Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas has served for 18 years. He's presided over the Sanhedrin council. The meeting occurs in his house, and he is obviously biased, and he is already planning by whatever way he can to have Jesus put to death. The third trial that Jesus goes through is when the Sanhedrin is gathered, and his third trial is before the Sanhedrin. And uh, the fourth trial is the first trial before Pilate. The fifth trial is the trial before Herod Antipas, the current king of the Jews. And then the final trial where he is com- they, they give him over to crucifixion is when he's brought back from Herod, back before Pilate for the sixth and final trial that he will he will face in these scriptures and you see all of this coming together where six times they are trying to work it out where they can be done with Jesus they can write him off they can break the law make the law trick the law scheme the law and put him to death and so uh, there is several illegalities that happen here I, I just want you to know them because we're wanting to we want these scriptures to to live for us. Uh, the first thing is that uh, they probably uh, did not have a quorum present. It would have been very rare for them to bring Jesus in the middle of the night and them be able to assemble a quorum of the Sanhedrin. They probably had a small group, but according to the law, they had to have a quite large number to have an official quorum. That's number one. Uh, number two, and this isn't in my notes, it's off the top of my head, so I, I may forget one of them. Uh, number two is uh, the, evidently the the passage seems to say that Caiaphas presents hit the judgment. You've all heard him prophesy, should he be put to death? And they all agree to do that. That was a contradiction of the Hebrew law. Uh, you could not do that. You, there was an order and a structure to things. And whenever someone was in, was in this type of a capital sentence, um, it had to be done by secret ballot. The, the speaker could not use his speakership as a way to influence the crowd. And that is clearly what Caiaphas has done. Thirdly, Jesus does not defend himself to their charges. He only answers their question. He does not defend himself to their charges. And he has no one to take his side of the charges. And so there are, there's a couple other small technicalities like this that show the rush with which they run to judgment on Jesus. And the willingness in their life and in their heart to fabricate witnesses. And then when the fabrications fell, the whole thing should be thrown out. But that's not what they do. They fish upon, they they fish for more and more. And uh, all of this is in contradiction to good legal uh, procedure, even by the Hebrews' own laws. And so here is Caiaphas. There is the chief priests. There is the elders. There is the scribes. Um, It's interesting to know who was was there. There. there also was the false witnesses. They're also outside, outside in the courtyard to the, the, the apartment structure that served the high priest's family would have been Peter and also there would have been John. Uh, just, just so you can see this all coming together, you'd have to go through the four passages and put it all together. Peter was not allowed in. He was not known. John evidently was known to the high priest through some connection. And John gets Peter into that courtyard. This is where the denials 
of the Lord is going to happen in this courtyard. And also, also, so we have the high priest there. We have the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. We have the members of the Sanhedrin council. There's a very good chance that uh, Joseph of Arimathea was there. There's a very good chance that Nicodemus was there. Uh, There is also a chance that they were part of that full quorum that would not have been able to convene that fast in the middle of the night without a formal um, announcement and a a formal trial being adjudicated. Uh, However that all happens, that gives you an idea. Interesting for us to understand is there's one group that you would think would be there that isn't there, and that is Pharisees. Now, uh, Pharisees had almost no representation in the Sanhedrin Council. The Sanhedrin Council is almost all uh, I mean, I, I mean, like 98, 99% uh, is all uh, Sadducee. They were the aristocracy. They were the educated. They were the ones who were formally schooled under the chief rabbis. Um, a lot of times we blame the Pharisees for, for killing Jesus, but uh, the Pharisees didn't have a vote. They just hated him. They hated him because he was a threat to their way of, of, of serving the Lord. This is the Sadducees, the powers that be that are seen this threat from Jesus. So I want you to kind of have a sense of this room. And they, they bring these false accusations. The only thing Jesus will agree to, the only thing he will agree to is that he is the son of God uh, and he will be seen at the right hand of power in the days that will come. And that is, that is enough. That is enough for them. That is all they need and they are willing to put him uh, quickly to death. They have it, the power of uh, life and death Death, however, uh, they have uh, they have influence with the society. They have influence with the people. Uh, if the Sanhedrin wants you to put you to death, they're probably going to do it by stoning. That was the formal manner in which uh, the Jews would discipline uh, the people among them who they thought were in some way a blasphemer. Uh, but Jesus is known. He's a public figure. And they, don't, they can't do this uh, without running afoul of the, of the Roman authority who claims to themselves the power of life and death. And so now, having had three religious trials, first Annas, then Caiaphas, and then in front of the Sanhedrin, uh, they've decided, okay, we're going to take him to see if the Romans will let us do what is really in our heart to do. And this is what has happened. They take him to Pilate. Uh, There's a lot of things that happen in the story that I'm I'm, I'm not specifically taking a Bible study time out for, Uh, but you guys will have been uh, very well exposed to the story. Um, Pilate Pilate doesn't really want to go through through with this, Pilate doesn't have the same sense of threat from Jesus that the religious crowd has from Jesus. Um, he 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 knows that Jesus has some influence, uh, but he he really doesn't want to. And furthermore, his wife has some type of sensitivity to the spirit realm, and and this is a quite interesting thing to think about. It there are people by the nature of their personality, they have a, a higher sensitivity to things of the spirit. And uh, they, they will have, even though they may not be where they ought to be with, with truth, they may not be where they ought to be with God, they have in their life this heightened sensitivity uh, to, to, to the spirit realm. I, I've had strangers uh, min- uh, minister to me at times, uh, and it was so 
unorthodox and so surprising that I left there thinking, I wonder if, if there's any chance, if, if that could have been one of the scriptures that they talked about, you know, we have in the scripture, you've entertained angels unawares. Uh, true story, y'all going to laugh at this, so this is funny. When I was young, I thought that scripture says you have entertained angels in their underwears. Um, that is not what the Bible says. <laughs> but I thought that for a long time. And uh, finally, I was disabused of the notion of angels in their underwear. Uh, you've entertained angels unaware, okay? Uh, I was uh, Something that happened recently when um, uh, Sister Granquist was here doing our ladies' conference, I pulled up to pick her up for the Saturday morning. And I see... I, I, I drive into the uh, overhang, and there's this there's this 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 uh, uh, elderly man talking to her, and she is just sobbing uncontrollably. And I pull up, and my first reaction is, "Don't mess with my people. I don't know what's going on here, but I will protect my people." And so I'm ready to hop out and go over, and you know, kind of like, "What's going on?" Um, and 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 I quickly I quickly sense there's no threat here, and he is just he kind of has his hand extended toward her, where he's almost touching her arm, but not quite touching her arm, and he's speaking to her, and she's just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And so after a minute, he turns at me, turns to me and smiles. And I, I nod at him to let him know there is a guy here watching you. So let's be cool. And, um, so, uh, he nodded back at me and smiled, a very, very gentle smile on his face. And he turned and walk, walked away. She comes over with her stuff and she's just, she can, she's almost, uh, almost, uh, hysterical. And, um, she's gathering herself, gathering herself. She comes and she gets in the car and she sits down and she's trying to catch herself. And I still don't know what's going on, but I'm like, is everything okay? You know, I, uh, was anything inappropriate? No, 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 everything's fine. And um, I asked her about it. She said, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. It's too close. Uh, what had happened um, is she didn't go into the details, but um, walking out of, of, of the hotel, this elderly man saw her and said this to her, said, um, uh, you're a believer, right? And of course she said, yes, she talks to everybody. And uh, he said, I, I, I would like to say something to you. And I don't know what all he said to her, but he began to speak to her and he began to minister to, to her. And uh, all she would say is, I don't know what just happened, but that was a God thing. Because he knew things about what I am going through right now that nobody else knows, not even you, and I'm not going to tell you. You see, at that moment, it's almost, there are, there are people that have the advantage and the risk of heightened spiritual sensitivity. It's an advantage if they have at all protections in their life. Hear me today. Hear me today. This is not milk for babes. This is meat, okay? They have advantages in their life because of this heightened spiritual sensitivity. They do. Uh, If they have some protection in their life, it will serve as a great blessing to them. And they can be mightily used in areas of a a supernatural blessing. But by the other hand, if they have a covering and a protection in their life, they are much more prone to spiritual oppression than your neighbor, Bob, who only wants to play football and drink beer. He's not spiritual. He may be a good guy, but he's not spiritual. Do you see? So um, there, there's this, this wife of Pilate has this heightened sense of something. She has this ability to sense something. She has a dream. This is all wrong. Something is happening here. And she, I won't get into the story, but she brings a warning. 
she's not a believer, not in the sense of the truth that we know sets men free. She's not a believer, not in the sense of the truth we know makes everything different in our life. And yet she has a sense something is happening here. I cannot help but think that if she had become a believer, could it not have been through her sensitivity a great work might have been done? But everything is turned because although she consents the working and the machinations of the spirit realm, she doesn't know what to do with it all. And she can only give a warning to her husband who, although I'm sure he values his wife's opinion, is going to come under the pressure of political demands. And that's how Jesus, an innocent man, the only good man who has ever lived, the only honest man who has ever truly lived, the only one who has ever been holy, the only one who has ever been deserving, the only innocent lamb of God. That is how he ends up on the notorious cross, the instrument of domination that is presented by the Roman Empire as a threat that we have absolute control over you. It is the sign with which the rebellious slave is judged. It's the painful death where they put the nails and 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 uh, in the most sensitive parts of your body, your hands and your feet, where so many of your nerve clusters come together, and then they hang you from those wounded hands and feet, and you dry of a and you die of asphyxiation because you cannot push up to breathe, and it's a horrible death. That's how this good man dies like that. But I would remind you of this. Love is so powerful. Love is so unbeatable. Love is the Christian super weapon. You know how all super, uh, super characters, like uh, they all have a superpower, like uh, Superman, oh, they all have a superpower. Uh, Christians have a superpower too. It's called love. If you understood all mysteries, that would fail. If you could speak with the tongues of men and angels, that would fail. If you could see with perfect insight into everybody's business, if you could know when the Lord was going to come, that would all fail. If you had all of the gifts of the Spirit, that would all fail. But charity never fails. And so Jesus comes to earth, and this is a this is the stamp of divinity. He says, I will live among you by your rules. I will let you pick the game. And I will lose to you. And in losing, I will win. How do you deal with the most painful relationships in your life? You win with love. Oh, nobody got excited over that. I didn't get a single amen over here. Not, not, not even Barry gave me an amen on that one. I, 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 this, it feels like you're dying. Exactly. It feels like they're getting in the last word. Somebody say exactly. It feels like you are being steamrolled by someone who shouldn't do it. Somebody say exactly. But love is so powerful that even when you lose in a way you understand, you win in a way you don't understand. And so Jesus, betrayed, lied about, presents himself to God, and is 
lifted up and is crucified. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. He was bruised for us. He was wounded for us. He bore all of my sins, and I've got a nice stack. Not, not quite as, you know, as, as you know, good as some of you guys' stack, but I've got a nice stack of sin. You see what I'm saying? Some of you guys are a little bit ahead of me. Yeah, that's right. Like Judd is a good ways ahead of me, you know, but I have a pretty nice stack too, all right? Uh, he died for all of that. And we today can never get over celebrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't get over it. You say, I've heard it 49 years. Poor you. It's the greatest love story ever told. You can't get over it. You can't let yourself get over it. When I was a young preacher, I went to a large uh, a meeting, apostolic meeting. Great. Everything was wonderful. And uh, you, know how, you know how you go to these meetings and, and they stack these preachers one after another because everybody wants the microphone, you know. And they just come to my church. I'd never give them the microphone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was funny and no one laughed. I hate it. Y'all don't have a good, y'all don't have a good sense of humor. We're going to have to pray for a revival. <laughs> anyway, so um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the, 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 I heard one of the most beautiful messages on Calvary I'd ever heard. And I was actually at the time writing, trying to write a book on Calvary. So I had spent all this time, I had all this emotional involvement. And, I'm, and this guy did this beautiful job preaching on Calvary. And because I had this big emotional involvement in, in trying to write this book and spending hours on it, you know, I'm just crying through the whole thing because it was in my spirit. And I, and, um, I, I realized after a while, I was the only one being blessed. <laughs> Nobody else was being blessed. They're all good people. I'm not saying they're bad people. That's just, just understand how easy it is for us to get a little bit jaded to the gospel story. And so I look around, and it's, it's the guy. I look, and by this time, I'd been preaching long enough to read preacher body language. Uh, preacher body language. You can tell when the preacher's frustrated. If you've preached for a while, you can tell. Uh, you, you, I can tell this guy's frustrated because the spirit, this message moved him, and he's trying to convey it. And they're like, oh, whatever. Right after this guy, the next guy gets up, and he preached a fairly political message, uh, at least uh, religious politics, the place went nuts. The place went bananas. I mean, I'm talking, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, this is a life lesson right here. This is a life lesson. It's so easy for us to get off the, the, the center of what makes church work, and that is this. You be a sinner. You're pushing that behind you. You're repenting. You're striving for the right. Can I have a big amen? You are seeking after the way of, the, of righteousness. You're seeking to do right, to live right. You're doing all that every day. The flesh is always like, hey, and you're like, no, and it's like, hey, and you're like, no, and it's like all the time. You're getting, and then sometimes, you know, you're there like, hey, and you're like, hey, and then you have to pray through. <laughs> that was for all you young people right here. Okay, we're striving. Somebody say, I'm striving. But after you've done it all, you still need Calvary. After you've kept the law, you need a sacrifice. After you've prayed every day, you need his blood washing you. After you've done everything right, after you've perfected yourself, you need Calvary. I'm not getting over Calvary. And so we see at this moment... Uh, Jesus goes into Gethsemane, 
troubled, intimidated by what he's about to go through. He surrenders his soul. The battle's won. And then he's taken forward to do the work. It is though there's this awareness. There is this inner surrender. And now there is the process. A lot of people make the mistake of this. They feel a call. They feel a purpose. They go through a surrender. And once the process starts, they think they're out of the will of God because the process hurts. Does that make sense? You guys hearing me? So they felt a call. They say, I'm willing to do it. They start doing it and they immediately think, this must not be the will of God because it hurts so much. You see? This is Jesus on the cross saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay. The call, the surrender, the process. Weeping endures all night long, but joy comes in the morning. Calvary doesn't end with death. It ends with life. And the process you're going through, doesn't, it's not going to end with death. It's going to end with life. Even the death of the saints doesn't end with death. It ends with life. Oh, praise God, somebody. Let's all stand. Would you lift your hands all over the house? Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you today. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.